0: Please turn in your Bibles to the epistle to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter. We will be looking particularly at verses 11 through 14 this evening, but we will read the first 14 verses. Hear now the word of God. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are offered continually every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, Our Lord and our God, you are our God and we are your people. And we just come and we praise you again for the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would bring the great truths of this passage to the hearts of each and every person here this evening, Lord, that we might draw near once again to the great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. We ask that you would bless the preaching this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. We come this evening to one of the most magnificent and glorious passages in all of Scripture. This great text teaches us about the nature of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest and our king, and how his sacrifice is perfect and complete and perfectly efficacious. The sacrifice of Christ is final, removing the sins of his people forever. There no longer remains any sacrifice to be offered. This sacrifice perfects his people and accomplishes their salvation. The work of Christ makes perfect and complete the redemption of the people of God. There is nothing that is to be added to it. And it is this great work that we, become, we come to behold in this text this evening. The Epistle to the Hebrews was written by an unknown and inspired author who is deeply conversant with the Old Testament and with the teaching of the apostles. The great theme of the book is the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, the author explained the nature of the priesthood. Priests were called by God. They did not take this office to themselves. Their task was to offer gifts and sacrifices on behalf of men to God. The priesthood that was given to the people of Israel was the Levitical priesthood. And this priesthood was given in order to make sacrifices and intercession for God's people. It was made up entirely of those who were descended from Aaron. But in chapter 7, we read of another priesthood mentioned in the Old Testament, the priesthood of Melchizedek, a greater priesthood, which is superior to that of Aaron. And it it is this priesthood to which our Lord Jesus Christ belongs. And in chapter 8, we read how the priesthood of Christ is superior to that of Levi and of Aaron because the priesthood of Christ inaugurates the new covenant. And then in chapter 9, the author compares the mediatory work of Christ, which brings us the new covenant, to that of Moses, which brought the old covenant. And thus we come in chapter 10, where the priestly sacrifices of the old covenant are compared with that made by the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 11, we read, And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And this is the first major point of this text. The Levitical priesthood could never take away sins through its sacrifices. The Levitical priesthood was insufficient. It could never truly remove the sins of the people of God. The priesthood of the order of Aaron was instituted by God, but it was incapable of finally and fully removing the sins of human beings. It remained for there to be a greater and more perfect priesthood. And the author gives several reasons why this is the case. The first reason why the Levitical priesthood was insufficient was because the Levitical priesthood offered repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sins, we read here. The sacrifices were many, and for that reason, they could never fully remove the sins of God's people. They had to be offered again and again. They had to be offered continually. There was no end to them. They had to offer the exact same sacrifices because there was no way that they could ultimately remove sins. Each priest eventually died and was replaced by someone else who would offer the exact same sacrifices as the ones who went before him. In chapter 7, verse 23, we read, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Each priest had to continue the work of the other priests in making the exact same sacrifices for sins again and again. And so the question that we may ask is this. Why could these sacrifices never take away sins? Why did there always have to be generation after generation of priests who offered the exact same sacrifices? And the answer is what we read in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are offered continually year every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sins. In other words, the law had a shadow of the good things to come and the blood of bulls and goats pointed to that which was to come. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins, but it pointed to that which would And so, the second reason why the sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood were insufficient is this it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to ultimately atone for human sins. This is why the priests of the Order of Aaron had to continually offer sacrifices again and again. These sacrifices could never remove sins. The blood of animals was insufficient. And of course, this makes sense. How could the blood of animals ultimately atone for the sins of human beings? Ultimately, they cannot. But they were instituted by God to point to that which would. They were given by God to point to a greater and more perfect sacrifice. They were given by God as a shadow that pointed to the reality, that substance that was to come. The people of, of Israel were thus taught through these sacrifices, through these animal sacrifices, that their sins required judgment and that for every sin that they committed, atonement needed to be made. Blood had to be shed for that sin. We read in chapter 9, verses 18 through 22, therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And this is what the people of Israel were taught. The point of these sacrifices, these animal sacrifices, was to teach that sin required punishment. Sin is an offense to the holy God, and thus it brings his wrath Sin requires punishment, the satisfaction of the wrath of God. And this satisfaction is met through sacrifice and through the shedding of blood. When the offerer would offer the sacrifice of an animal, they would witness the punishment for sin, the wrath of God being poured out upon that offering rather than upon them. And thus they would be taught that sin requires punishment it requires a sacrifice to satisfy god's wrath in leviticus chapter 1 we read that the animals were to be that were to be brought were to be without blemish and this pointed to the fact that there must be a sinless and perfect substitute for sins but the satisfaction of animal the sacrifices of animals could never perfectly atone for the sins of human beings These sacrifices of animals pointed to a greater sacrifice that was to come. Then the author lists a third and final reason why the sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood were insufficient. And that is that the priests of the order of Aaron stood continually. This indicated that they were always at work and that their work of atonement was never completed. The high priest never sat down. Because he was always working to make atonement for the people of God. He was never done making atonement. His work was never finished. So he always remained standing. The Levitical priesthood was insufficient to completely take away sins. Which is why the author states in chapter 7 verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. For under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? But perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood, which is why there had to be another priest and another sacrifice. And thanks be to God, we read in verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. The Levitical priesthood was insufficient. The Levitical sacrifices were imperfect. But the perfect priesthood of Christ is sufficient. It is complete. His sacrifice is complete, perfect, unrepeatable. And this is the great second point that we find in this text. Jesus has offered one final sacrifice for sins that is perfect. Unlike the old sacrifices, His is the last sacrifice to be made. His is the only true and complete atonement that is made. And the author gives several reasons for this in contrast to those found in verse 11. First of all, the sacrifice of Christ was perfect and complete because it was singular. Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He did not need to make multiple sacrifices. He only needed to make one. And that one was enough. It was complete. It was perfect. He was not like the other priests offering repeatedly the same sacrifice that could never take away sins. No, he offered the one single sacrifice that would remove sins forever. We read in chapter 9, verses 25 through 28, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Christ does not make a repeated offering. He makes one offering at the end of ages to put away sin completely. His singular offering bears the sins of many. And it puts away our sins permanently. And so we may ask, why is his sacrifice singular? when the old sacrifices were so many? Why, is this, why does Jesus only have to offer one sacrifice? And the reason why His sacrifice is singular is because it was the offering of Himself. He does not offer the blood of bulls and goats. He does not offer up animals. He offered up Himself. The offering of our High Priest was that of the sinless, spotless, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is the second reason why the sacrifice of Christ is perfect and complete. It is the sacrifice of the sinless Son of God. Jesus was truly and perfectly without sin. In chapter 4, verse 15 of this epistle, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, but it was impossible for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ not to. The blood of animals could never satisfy the wrath of God for the sin of humanity, but the blood of the Son of Man the Lord Jesus Christ put away sins forever. We read in chapter 9, verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood, blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The sacrifice of Christ secured an eternal redemption, not one that lasted only as long as it took to, for the next sacrifice. No, the offering of Christ secured a redemption that was permanent, that was eternal, that was forever. By Christ's perfect sacrifice, the wrath of God was satisfied truly and completely. The wrath of God was poured out upon Him so that it would never be poured out upon God's people. Every sacrifice of the Levitical priesthood pointed to the ultimate and final sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every sacrifice of animals, of bulls and goats and calves was insufficient in and of itself, but it pointed to the final sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, which was perfectly sufficient. And thus, the third reason why the sacrifice of Christ is perfect and complete is because it is the final and perfect sacrifice. The one that is the fulfillment of all others. It is complete. It is the last one. It removes sins. There are no more sacrifices that need to be made. Our verse says, when Christ had offered one sacrifice for sins, that is enough. That is the last one. His sacrifice is the last sacrifice because it completely, finally, and totally puts away the sins of God's people. And the fourth and final reason why our author gives that the sacrifice of Christ is perfect and complete is because He has sat down. The priests of old never sat down because their work was never finished. But Christ, our our high priest, has sat down because his work is done. His work is finished. The work of sacrificial atonement is complete. It no longer needs to be repeated ever again. And the fact that he has sat down at the right hand of God tells us something else about our great high priest. He is also a king. And thus we read in verse 13 waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And this is the third great point of this text this evening. This priest has sat down at the right hand of God, the place of highest authority. Thus, our great high priest is also the king of kings. The Lord Jesus, our great high priest, at his ascension was given the place of highest authority, honor, and dignity. His ascension was his royal coronation, the coronation of the Lord of all. We read in Philippians 2, verses 9-11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Having undergone the state of humiliation, our Lord has now also been exalted to the highest place. And we read that he now wages war against his enemies. Having been exalted as king, he is awaiting his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. The Lord Jesus Christ is king. He is king now. And he rules and reigns over all things. He is conquering his enemies. Bringing them into submission. And we who once were his enemies can rejoice over the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ, our king, has conquered us. He has smashed our stony hearts and given us hearts of flesh. And made we who were rebels against him... His subjects who sing his praises. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 through 28. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father, subduing his enemies and bringing them into submission to himself. And one day he shall return to judge the living and the dead, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Now this phrase, seated at the right hand of God, waiting until his enemies should be made a footstool, comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. And there we read, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a royal psalm expressing the majesty of the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord Jesus. And as our Lord noted in Matthew 22, verses 42 through 45, David calls him Lord here. The Christ, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus is given the place of highest rule, honor, and glory. And yet in this very same psalm, Psalm 110, where we see the royal dignity of the Messiah, we also see the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ established. In verse 4 of Psalm 110, we read, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this is the verse that is repeated so often in this epistle to the Hebrews. And this verse is the basis for the priesthood of Christ. And so we see here that our Lord Jesus is both king and priest. He is both the ruler of all things and the one who makes atonement for his people. And no one else can do this. No one else could be both king and priest. We read in chapter 7, verses 13 through 14 of this epistle, For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. The tribe of Judah was not permitted to produce men for the Levitical priesthood. And the tribe of Levi was given the priesthood, not the monarchy. The kingship was given to the royal line of David, of Judah. We read of a very tragic account in Second Chronicles 26, verses 16 through 23, of how King Uzziah of Judah grew proud in his heart and how he attempted to take to himself the duties of a priest and to offer incense upon the altar of God. But the Levitical priest confronted him, and the Lord struck him with leprosy because the offices of king and priest could not be combined because the priesthood was given only to Levi, and the kingship was given only to Judah. And yet, in our Lord Jesus, we see these two great offices combined Because our Lord is from Judah, and thus he obtains the kingship by right, by inheritance. And he is also a priest, not of the order of Levi, but of the order of Melchizedek, of a greater priesthood. And thus, in the one person of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have one who is both king and priest. Thus, we can have confidence that this great high priest, our Lord Jesus is also the King of Kings. And for that reason, he is greater than every other priest who has ever lived. And as our priest, who is greater than all others, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. As we read in verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And this is the fourth great point of our text. Our great High Priest has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. As we have said, the sacrifice of Christ is perfect. It is singular. It is final. It is perfectly sufficient. There no longer needs to be any other sacrifice to be offered. His sacrifice removes sins and there is nothing lacking in it. If you have had the Son of God make sacrifice for you, then your sins are perfectly removed forever. And thus, with this great truth in mind, what does it mean that he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified? How can someone be made perfect if they still need to be sanctified? How can they be sanctified if they have been made perfect? And the answer to this is that we are both Permanently justified once for all, and we are in the process of being sanctified, being actually made holy. We are justified based upon the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Through the work of Christ, we are made righteous. We are clothed in his perfect righteousness and his holiness. By his sacrifice, he took the penalty for our sins. And by his perfect life, he has made us righteous. He has given us the great perfect righteousness of his life. And thus we are declared by God to be righteous as we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are declared just in the sight of God. And so we have a new legal status that of being righteous with Christ's righteousness. We are declared perfect in the sight of God because when God looks at us, he does not look at us and our sins, but he looks to the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And thus, that is how the author can say he is perfected forever because we are pronounced righteous with Christ's righteousness, which is perfect. It is not we ourselves who are perfect, but it is our Lord who is perfect. And yet, at the same time, we are still inwardly being sanctified. We are still actually growing in grace and holiness. We are still being made pure internally. Christ has justified us, and God has declared us righteousness. He has imputed to us Christ's righteousness. But internally, we still are having the progressive removal of sin in our lives. We still sin. We still have need to grow in grace and in holiness and in obedience. And so in this way, we are both perfected for all time by Christ and yet being sanctified by the power of His Holy Spirit who works within us. And thus, this is a great truth. We have the confidence of knowing that our justification is certain and is sure If we have faith in Jesus Christ, then we have been declared righteous. And yet, at the same time, we can also have confidence that the Holy Spirit is working within us every day to make us more like our Lord Jesus. He is continually removing those impurities, those sins, those wickednesses that keep us from our Savior. We are both pronounced just or perfected forever. And yet at the same time, being sanctified. And so when we come to this passage tonight, we see one great truth presented. The all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ Jesus, our great high priest. The sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood were mere shadows. They could never atone for sins in and of themselves. They could never take away sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ, by his single sacrifice of himself on the cross, put away sins forever. His sacrifice is perfect, perfectly sufficient and complete. So to those of you who trust in Christ, I exhort you now to look to your Savior. Look to the Lord Jesus, whose finished work on your behalf is perfect. Look to his finished sacrifice. If you trust in him, you can be assured that he has put away your sins forever. He has removed your sins completely from you for all time. He has paid the price for your sins such that the wrath of God has been completely satisfied. Jesus suffered and died on your behalf so that you might never be punished for your sins What a great and glorious truth this is. Are you struggling under the weight of your sins? Look to the finished sacrifice of Jesus. He has taken the punishment for all of it. He has paid it all. There is no more sacrifice that will ever be needed. There is nothing you can do to add to it. No more that you can do. No work that you can do. Jesus has paid it all. His sacrifice is enough. And to those of you who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, to those of you who do not trust in Him, I address you now. You stand before the Holy God alone under the weight and guilt of your sins. You have no priest. You have no sacrifice. You have no substitute to take the wrath of God on your behalf. And thus you stand naked and alone before God's wrath. And if you do not have a sacrifice, if you do not have a substitute, God will pour out his wrath upon you. And so I urge you to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, look to the great high priest who makes a perfect final sacrifice. For sins. There is no work that you can do that can compare, nothing that you can do to reconcile yourself to God. Instead, God calls you to look to the one who has made atonement for sins, who has taken the perfect wrath of God upon himself. Trust that God looks to him rather than you and pours out his wrath upon Christ rather than you for your sins. And he will forgive you for your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so I urge everyone here this evening, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to he who has made the perfect and final sacrifice for sins. His work is sufficient for you, for he is our great high priest and he has paid it all. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we just thank you so much for the provision of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that his sacrifice is enough, that his sacrifice is sufficient, and that there is nothing that we can do to add to it. Lord, we just pray that you would instill that great truth in the hearts of all this evening, and that we might go forth from here glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen.